0: Hello, and welcome to the Calvary Chapel Southeast podcast. Thank you for joining us for our study through the book of 1 Corinthians. This letter was written by the Apostle Paul to the struggling church in Corinth. They were allowing the culture to influence them more than they were impacting the world. As a result, the church was crumbling. Paul's strong words of rebuke and encouragement teach us many things about how we as believers should live in a dark and depraved world. Grab your Bibles and let's jump in.
1: Please remain standing and grab your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We're going to pick up at verse 10. Um, I did, I was thinking about this. I want to tell you this story about Ryan and Mary real quick. I realize we're not in that big of a hurry on this service. I always feel relieved because first service, we got to get everybody out. You guys are here for a long time today. Let me tell you that right now. But when our kids were teenagers, we used to take them to the pastor's conference up in Warm Beach, uh, up in Seattle area, past Seattle. And every year we would go there and we'd meet other pastors who were there with their kids, Calvary pastors. And one year we were there and there was a family up a few seats front of us and we watched them they brought their children as well we had our girls and he had his boy and his daughter and and we were watching the boy and he was like really worshiping and uh, I thought well, look at this guy look at Janice says look at him up there I said wouldn't he be a good one for our daughter and uh, uh, so the next year we went back and, and uh, I was really moved in my spirit so I brought a picture of Mary, and I gave it to Al, uh, his, Ryan's dad, and I said, here, you need to give this to your son. You have him pray for her. And um, well, there they are, right? So, so you parents, you better pick them out for them. If you don't, you know, it's, it's a good plan. I'm just telling you, it works really good. We're very happy with how that turned out. And uh, I do believe in choosing your kids. Spouse. So. Anyway, beginning of verse 10, we're picking up from our study last week. According to the grace of God, which was given to me like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation and another is building on it. But each man must be careful how he builds on it. For no man can lay a foundation other than one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, each man's work will become evident, for the day will show it, because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire itself will test the quality, not the quantity, the quality of each man's work. And if any man's work which he has built on it remains, he will receive a reward. And if any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved yet so as through fire. Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the spirit of God dwells in you? If any man destroys the temple of God, God will destroy him for the temple of God is holy for that is what you are. Let no man deceive himself. If any among you thinks that he is wise in this age, he must become foolish so that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness before God, for it is written, he is the one who catches the wise in their craftiness, and again, the Lord knows the reasonings of the wise that they are useless. So then, let no one boast in men, for all things belong to you, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world of life or death or things present or things to come, all things belong to you and you belong to Christ, and Christ belongs to God. You may be seated. Again, to kind of bring us up to speed quickly here, we remember this morning that this letter of 1 Corinthians was written by the Apostle Paul to the church at Corinth in response to a report that he had received telling him of the condition of the church that he had, in fact, established several years earlier. The report told Paul that the sad and the pathetic condition of the church that they were no longer progressing in their spiritual growth, but rather they were digressing, that the church were living far beneath the standard which God had designed for them and planned for them. They were, in fact, carnal Christians. They were immature uh, Ryan read this last week in this chapter in verse one. He said, and I, brethren, could not speak to you as spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it. Even now you're still not able, for you are still carnal. For where there is envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men so here's the condition. We know that those, these people are saved. They know Jesus, but yet they are still carnal. They're not spiritual in their thinking. Their reasoning is now kind of digressed and falling back to the former patterns, which they had before Christ. They're kind of really leaning back on the things that they were when they were very young. And so Paul here comes to them in this letter, and he seeks to remind them of really the ABCs, the one, two, threes, and the C spot run kind of let's bring you back to the basics. I want to bring you back to show you who you are and remind you what God has for you. You see, due to their carnality, the fact that they were immature, there was a lot of disunity in the church. There was divisions, there were cliques, there were splits, there was jealousy and envy and selfish ambition. They were bickering, they're quarreling with one another. They were quarreling about who is their preferred teacher and who's the better teacher and all that kind of nonsense. I'm of a Paul, I'm of Cephas, and I'm of, I'm of you know, I'm of, of Jesus and whatever. They were going through all these things. Some of them were even suing one another. They're certainly not acting in love, There was even sexual sin in the church, and people weren't saying anything about it. They weren't even dealing with it. So in addressing the problem of their carnality, Paul seeks to bring them correction. 1 Corinthians is a correctional book. He is seeking to make right what they have wronged. And the first thing that Paul does in trying to bring understanding to them of what they are and what God desires for them, he draws a couple of very important contrasts. And the very first contrast that he draws their attention to is the contrast between the natural man, those who are not believers, versus the spiritual man, those who do know Jesus. And so as he describes really the natural man, he really says that the natural man is unredeemed. The natural man is unregenerate. The natural man is proud. The natural man, those who don't know Jesus, out in the world are spiritually dead in sin. They're dead to the things of God. They are spiritually blind. They are spiritually deaf. They have no capacity whatsoever to understand spiritual truth. You see, that's important for you to know because when you see the world as crazy as it is, this is what blind people do. This is what people who can't hear God do. They're simply acting in character of being the natural man. He said in verse 18 of chapter 1, For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. In verse 21 of chapter 1, he says, For since the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom, did not come to know God, God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe." He says in in chapter two, verse 14, but a natural man does not accept the things of the spirit for they are foolishness to him and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. They have no way of understanding what you know as a believer. God has brought you as a believer and he's giving you now the capacity to understand things. You see, the spiritual man, those who are born again, they are the redeemed. They are those who are sanctified. They've been cleansed by the blood of Jesus. They are regenerate. That is that there's a new nature that's given to them. They're given a new heart that is tender to the things of God, given a new mind by which they can understand spiritual truth. They're given a natural desire to do things of God. And so we know they have the capacity now for spiritual growth. You all have capacity, if you know Jesus, this morning, to grow to grow up, and to mature. Paul said in chapter two, verse two, he said, "'For I determined to know nothing among you "'except Jesus Christ and him crucified.'" And verse six, he said, "'Yet you do, you do speak, we do speak wisdom among those who are the mature, "'a wisdom, however, not of this age, "'nor of the rulers of this age who are passing away, "'but we speak God's wisdom and a mystery, "'the hidden wisdom which God predestined "'before the ages to our glory.'" And he says in verse 10, for to us, those of us who believe, God revealed them through the Spirit. And the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. For whom among men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him. Even so, the thoughts of God no one knows except the Spirit of God. And verse 15, he says, but he who is spiritual appraises all things. We now have the ability to do this. Yet he himself is appraised by no one For who has known the mind of the Lord that he will instruct him. But we, he says, we who know Jesus, we have the mind of Christ. There's a distinction that is made between the spiritual man and the natural man. But the next really contrast that he gives to us then is this contrast between the spiritual Christian versus the carnal Christian. Because this is what he's dealing with in the church. The spiritually mature Christian walks as the new man. The spiritually mature Christian is Christ-centered. They are others-minded. They are humble. They are dependent upon the Holy Spirit. They have a hunger for the Word of God. They're sensitive to the Holy Spirit's conviction. They're quick to repent of their sin. They seek growth in the knowledge of Christ they seek growth in the knowledge of, or the likeness of Christ in their character. They seek growth in the mind of Christ, a transformed mind that now thinks differently. They are teachable. They are faithful. And because of that, they are fruitful. That's the mature Christian. And because of these things, they are a blessed people. They've been blessed with grace to live for and serve God. They've been blessed with security in the promises of God. They've been blessed with the spiritual riches that are found in Christ. We've been blessed with the peace of Christ, the hope for the future, and then we bless others with the blessings that we have received. We are a blessed people. If you're growing in the Lord, you are blessed. There's a blessing for those who grow, for those who mature and and really discover all that God wants for you. On the other hand, there's the carnal Christian who walks now as the old man. He's not walking in the new man. He's kind of still hung out there where he used to be. He's immature. He is weak in faith. He is proud. He is undisciplined. He is self-centered. He is worldly-minded. He is carnal, fleshly-driven. He's independent He is compromising. He is neglectful or doubtful of the word of God. He resists the Holy Spirit's conviction in his life. Thus he is unteachable. And the result and the fruit of that carnal Christian is this, not blessings. He's not walking in the blessings of God's grace. No, he lacks spiritual fruit. He's insecure with God. He is insecure with others. He lacks spiritual insight. And because of that, in his carnal nature, comes all this stuff. The jealousy, the bickering, the fighting, the envy, all the things that kind of take place. Now, I have been in churches like this. You see, basically, carnal Christianity, as you look at carnal Christians, they, they find themselves compromising with the world's philosophies. They kind of dabble a little bit here, a little bit there, and they really kind of take the world's wisdom for what the world values. And what for the world desires. And listen, people, you have to look at your life and say, I wonder how many of the the values I have are not God's values. How many of the things that I think about or I seek in my life are really not things that God would seek for me? So instead of being an influence to the lost, they're influenced by the lost. They are so earthly minded, they are no heavenly good. Instead of drawing the lost to Jesus, they end up repelling people from Jesus. Why? Because people see through it. They know, they can see, if this. If you're genuine, they're going to watch. And they're looking to see something that is real. So if you're kind of playing it both ways and you're kind of going that. You see, I believe that a carnal Christian is really a miserable person. And the reason why I say that is because spiritually they're schizophrenic. They have two minds, two minds. One's going in one direction, one's going the other direction. They have too much of Jesus to be content with the world and too much of the world to be content with Jesus. They're being pulled apart. Miserable people, how do I know this? Because I've been that person. Because I've been that carnal. I have to fight carnality every single day of my life. I know what it is to find myself in that place where I'm stunted in growth. But by God's faithfulness, he never lets me go. And that's why he's allowed so many of those horrible tribulations in my life to kinda work those things out of me. You know, that's what God does. He defines us, he purifies us through even the fires of testings that we go through in life, simply because he wants more for us. He wants us to grow and mature. And the point that Paul is making in all of this is this. Spiritual maturity is not automatic. It's not like we get saved one day and it's wonderful when you're first saved. But that's just the beginning. There's so much more that God has for you. But you have to grow, and we have our part to do. You see, faith has to be exercised to grow. And what it is is this day-by-day process by which we learn how to die to this self and seek the mind of Jesus, who ultimately transforms us to be more and more like Jesus. That's what God's doing in you. I want you to know something. Even if you're carnal here today, he's not going to let you go. He's going to keep working on you until you understand his heart for you. You know, Paul says in Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Paul says, it's a delight for me to see myself crucified. Because he is the one who I want to live for. Last week, Ryan did a wonderful job in this first portion of this chapter, but we saw that in Corinthians, in the church there, in their carnal appetites, they were kind of having this, this, this hankering for spiritual celebrities, you know, those who are more cool than others and, you know, yeah, I got, I've got Paul, and I've got Apollos, so I've got Cephas, and I've got Jesus, and they were kind of going back arrogantly, kind of fighting about silly stuff. And so Paul tries to correct them from their foolish thinking, their worldly thinking. Are you really, by the way, I really think we do a great disservice by having spiritual celebrities. I really do. I think we have to really examine that. It's like, man, did you hear so-and-so? Listen, I think it's really good to be fed by some of these really gifted teachers. But when you put them on a place where they shouldn't be, you're making a mistake. And you're doing them harm as well. You know, we all have different gifts. We are all unique. God gives us different gifts to be used according to his wisdom. And, of course, as you go through 1 Corinthians, that's one of the big messages that he brings later on in the book. But but Paul says, you know, some sow seeds, others water the seed. And the one who sows the seed and those who water the seed are interdependent upon each other for the health of a good crop. In other words, we need those who do this, and we need those who do that well. We all have that gift to do it. He says in verse 9, for we are God's fellow workers, and you are God's field, you're God's building. He says, for we, speaking of Paul, speaking of Apollo, speaking of Cephas, he says, we're simply God's workers, we co-work together to serve God's team. We're on the same team. We're working now in cooperation with each other, empowered by the same spirit to accomplish the same goals that God has for us. So he aren't you not carnal to think otherwise? And then he says this, notice that you are the body of God's field, field, not field, singular, field. You're one, you're God's building, not buildings, but you're God's building." And so Paul here then goes into another analogy or illustration to make his point. And verse 10, he says, according to the grace of God, which is given to me like a wise master builder, I laid the foundation, another, and another is building on it, but each man must be careful how he builds on it. Paul is saying, according to God's grace, the grace that was given to me, he gave me the privilege of being the one to lay the foundation of this church. That's the work that he gave me to do. You see, without a sure foundation, the building, no matter how beautiful it is on the outside, if it doesn't have a good foundation, in a severe storm, that house is 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 perhaps going to crumble and fall. Jesus kind of alludes to that in his own teaching in Luke chapter six, verse forty-seven. He says, "Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and acts on them, I will show you whom he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep." And, and laid a foundation on the rock, and when a flood occurred, the torrent burst against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who has heard and has not acted accordingly is like a man who built a house on the ground without any foundation, and the torrent burst against it and immediately collapsed, and the ruin of that house was great. Paul says, God gave me the, uh, the privilege of laying the foundation. And now, someone else, Apollos, is coming to build on the foundation which God allowed me to build. You see, one plants, the other waters, but the one who waters is critical for the growth of the one who has also laid the foundation. So he says here, verse 11, for no one can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Paul lays it out here. What is the sure foundation that I laid? Well, it's Jesus himself. It's just Jesus. That is the foundation of the church. 1 Corinthians 2.2, 2, Paul says, for I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's how the church was settled. That's how it was founded. You see, a true growing church where believers are growing to maturity have to be Christ-centered. They must be Christ-centered. Without Jesus as your foundation, there is no church. You see, Jesus alone is the foundation. By the way, that's a big exhortation to all of our churches. If they're not giving you Jesus, get out. If you're going someplace and they're not giving you Jesus, you get out or you pray hard that God does a revival in that place because without Jesus, you got nothing. You really have nothing. And of course, that speaks to the danger of cults. Why? Because they get it wrong about Jesus. And if you get it wrong about Jesus, you lose everything. Now, for the Corinthian believers, you see, they had the right foundation. They did have Jesus. But the problem is now with the building materials they're seeking to build with. That's why he says in chapter 2, Now, if any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw... Each man's work will become evident for the day will show it because it, will be, it is to be revealed with fire, and the fire itself will test the quality. And again, I want to underline that word quality, not quantity of each man's work, but the quality of the work. You see, if the house is going to stand strong, if it's going to endure hardships and earthquakes and tornadoes, two things are very essential. You see, it's gonna need a great foundation, but it's also gonna be needed to be built with good building materials. And so he talks about building materials here. He talks about gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and straw. And these six materials here, if you look at them, they can be divided into two classes. You have some that are perishable, and you have others that are imperishable. You have gold, silver, and precious stones represents the works Born of the Holy Spirit, they are imperishable. Everything that is born of the Spirit, they will endure the fire that comes to test the work. Now those things that are wood, hay, and straw are those works that are born of your flesh. He says every work that is born of your flesh goes up in smoke. Poof. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Nothing. That's why 1 Corinthians 1 29 says no flesh should glory in his presence or Romans 8 8 and those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Your flesh cannot do it. I want to just ask you a question right now what building materials are you building your spiritual life with? What are you doing? Are you building it to to build something to last? Well one day it will all be revealed with fire. Because if you're building your life, your life with wood, hay, and straw, your works, all of them are gonna be consumed by fire, everything up in smoke, you will have nothing to show for yourself. That's true. Remember the story of three little pigs? We all love this story, right? It's a story of three little pigs. One pig, you know, he made his house out of straw, the other out of bricks, or out of sticks, the other out of bricks. And so when the big bad wolf comes to blow the house down, he succeeds. on on just one house that remains standing after he comes and huffs and puffs. And that's the house that is made out of bricks. The other two became ham and bacon. That's all they became. (laughs) But it's the same idea here. You know, upon the foundation of Jesus, a house is built with gold, with silver, precious stones, imperishable works. Because one day, all of our works are going to be tested and shown, revealed for what they really are. You see, the gold, that silver, those precious stones, they they are the spiritual works that the Holy Spirit does for us through us as his vessels. And only those things done by the Spirit through us are the things that are going to stand. That's why we love that verse here, and I've lived by it all these years. I don't always follow it because at times again I fall back into my carnality but when I think about it it's really this not by might not by power but by my spirit says the Lord of hosts and he says in verse 14 if any man's work which he has built on it remains he will receive a reward that's kind of interesting this is really important but not only are our works going to be tested And proven by fire, but only those works which are really pure works of the Spirit are going to be rewarded. You talk about rewards because a lot of Christians think, well, I'm just saved. I don't care about rewards. Well, I hope this morning you get a good appetite for what God would choose to give you should you be that vessel of glory for him. You see, the Bible talks about two judgments. You have the great white throne judgment. That's going to be the judgment when God will judge the wicked of this earth. He will justly deal with all of them in his righteousness and his holiness. But there's another judgment that's coming for the believers, and that's the Bemis seed of Christ. And at that judgment, he's going to judge our works. And not only is he going to judge our works, but he's going to give rewards for those works that are fruitful and faithful to the Lord. 2 Corinthians 5.10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Only those works that are born of the Spirit will survive. Those works born of the Spirit will be rewarded. Only those things that have value to God through our obedience and faithfully stepping out in faith are are really going to bear the fruit that God is looking for. You know, I can't say I fully understand all this about rewards. I just know they're going to be good. You know, I I just know that it speaks a lot about it. Paul was motivated by them. He thought of the reward that would await him, the crowns that would await. But, But more importantly, I think we need to understand God has something far greater that's not just about being saved. God wants us to grow up. See, God not only knows what we do, he knows why we do what we do. And that's a very sobering truth because I'm not sure that I fully understand my own motivations. I don't know whether I'm always aware of which things I'm doing for God's sake or what I'm doing for your sake. What things I try to display, am I really doing this for me? Am I doing this for God? But I know this that the only thing that God's ever gonna recognize are those things that are born out of the Holy Spirit working through me. That's a very sobering truth. You see, we make a big deal. You remember the Pharisees, they were showmen. You know, they wanted everybody to see how spiritual they were so people could think how wonderful. Jesus says, now listen, when you pray, you go into the closet. When you give your gifts, don't go out in public and make a scene of it so everybody can see. No, because God's looking at the motivations of why we do what we do. It's a very sobering truth. You see, the works that are done in genuine love, empowered by the Spirit, I think of those times where maybe we just we see someone or maybe we wake up in the middle of the night and the Lord's put somebody in our heart and we go, man, i got to pray for that person. And you pray for them and you don't know why, you don't know what's going on. The next day you call them and guess what? They are going through something really heavy and they needed your prayer. Well, that's the Holy Spirit. Or you meet somebody in the church and you, you know what, for whatever reason, God gives you a nudge, the Spirit nudges you. It's like, you know what, I need to go encourage that person. And you go and you encourage them, and they needed to hear what you had to say. But that's a work that is done by the Holy Spirit. And it's a beautiful thing when you see that taking place in the church, when people are responding by the Spirit, and we're all sensitive you know, God, how do you want to use me right now? It's a beautiful thing. Paul says, you know, I, I think of the, the desire of Jesus for his servants in Matthew 25, 21, when the Lord says, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful of a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. I don't know about you, but I don't know. I, I see so many other people who I think, oh, Lord, look at them. I hope I hear something like this someday. It's humbling to think about. Oh, you've been a good and faithful servant? I'm not always so sure. Lord, I want to be, but I have to have my heart purified, and I need your holiness to work through me. Paul says in verse 15, If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved yet as through fire. That verse that comes to me when I was thinking about this is, is of course, Ephesians 2.8. It's kind of the one we always talk about for by grace you have been saved through faith, and it's not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. I want you to notice there, he's saying, first of all, that we are saved by his grace. There's no doubt. It is his work that saves us. And we are all here today, not because of our works, but because of his work. But then he goes on to say, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. God has allowed us now the privilege of knowing him, not just to know him, but to serve him. And mature Christians, when they grow, this is what they do. Now, one of us, none of us are saved by our works. We need to understand that our works matter to God that God is looking at the works. He's looking at the things we do, the good works that we do that will be tested and proven to be of value and those things which will have no value. On that day of fire testing, every work that is born of your flesh is gonna perish. No matter what your motivations were, you think, well, I'm I'm gonna be a good person, I'm gonna do this. Listen, those things you do on your own Apart from God's direction in your life? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Zero. You may be saved because Jesus is your righteousness, but you will have nothing to show for yourself at all. Not just in this life, but also in the life to come. You will barely escape the flames. I was thinking about the illustration one more time. I think about it a lot, but I think of God sending Moses to deliver the children of Israel out of bondage in Egypt. And remember, when he took them out of bondage, it was to take them to the place of blessing, where they could experience the blessings of God, the promises of God, but the only way you could get there was pass through the wilderness. You see, in the wilderness is where they were tested and their faith was to be proven. And they had every reason to believe God, but when the time came... For them to walk in the blessings of God, they refused it in unbelief. And because of it, a whole generation perished in the wilderness and never experienced the blessings of Canaan. It's a tragic story. Because God wanted those people to pass over into Canaan. Well, that's the same thing as a person who never grows up. It's like you hanging out in the wilderness, you think, well, this isn't too cool here in the wilderness. No, that's because he's never destined you to be there. He wants to bring you to a better place, a place of blessing. You know, they failed the test. The spiritual person who builds with spiritual materials is assured this, that the house is going to stand. The carnal person who builds their house with their flesh will have nothing to show. And I wonder, have you examined your heart? Have you examined what building materials you're building with? What values you're serving with? One day, it's all going to be exposed. All of it. Every motivation is going to be laid bare. If what you do, you do for you, it's going to be seen. If what you do, you do for his glory, it's going to be revealed. And God is looking for those things. Now, two things are essential in building a house that's going to stand. First, you need a good foundation. Secondly, you need good building materials. And if you are faithful in his service, you will be rewarded, as he's saying here. And then he says in verse 16, Do you not know that you are a temple of God and that the Holy, that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If any man destroys the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy, and he says, that is what you are. I get a kick out of it hearing him saying that, for you are holy. These people don't seem too holy to me. The beautiful thing about our righteousness is this is that when God sees us, he sees it through the filter of Jesus. But he's talking about even other things about this here. Again, he wants to remind them of their identity. This is who you are. You are the temple, a temple. You. And by you, he is not saying you and you and you. He's saying y'all. Very Southern. Y'all are the temple. That's who you are. That's who you are. You're the temple of God. And God is holy because that's who we are. You're the temple. In chapter 6, Paul's going to speak about individuals. Reminding them that our very own bodies are also a temple of the Holy Spirit. Because the Spirit dwells within us. But here is emphasizing the universal oneness of the church. That we are collectively as one body, his church, one building, his dwelling place where he resides. And there's two words that the Greeks would use for the one word English for temple. But the word here, Huron, simply speaks of the sanctuary. It's talking about the holy of holies. The place where you get the greatest glory, where the glory of God dwells. Paul says to these believers who forgot their identity, y'all are God's dwelling place. That's who you are. I want to remind you that he desires to dwell in this church. The emphasis here is on unity, because if they're all one temple dwelling in the place of God, they won't be fighting against each other, and they're not going to be quarreling, and they're not going to be ripping each other off. They're not going to be doing all those things because love is going to be predominant. We're a holy people, and God's called us to be holy. You see, when you take action against another brother and you begin quarreling and bickering over stupid little stuff, and it really gets pretty ugly. I have been in carnal churches. I praise God that I see a lot of maturity in our fellowship, but I've been in carnal churches. They're horrible places to be. I mean, I can't wait to get out of them. And some of you, you you're, you're, you're at a final straw. It's like, I can't believe right Where I go, I just see people just bickering and, and all that kind of. Well, number one, you need to understand this no matter where you go, all you're going to get is people. And we're all kind of fallible. Not kind of, we're messy. So we have to give each other a lot of grace. But when you see that grace isn't being worked out, man, it's an ugly thing, it's really pathetic. You know, Paul wants these Corinthians to think more as a unified assembly and less as, as a collection of competing individuals all doing their own thing for their own purpose. That's the carnal church. Everyone's doing their own thing for their own purpose. See, the natural man, I was thinking about this contrast. From the time we are little babies, we are totally dependent upon others. Did you notice that? When you're a baby, if somebody doesn't take care of you, if somebody doesn't hold you and feed you, you're going to die, period. You are that dependent. And as you grow up as a human being in the natural world, what happens is you grow up to be more independent. You no longer need everybody to wash you and bathe you. You learn how to do it yourself. But here's the beauty about being a spiritual person. When you're born of God, you start off more independent. But as you grow as a believer and you mature, you become more dependent upon God. You become more interdependent upon each other. It's a beautiful thing that God's designed here. You see, in our individualistic American culture where everyone is off doing their own thing for their own purpose, we have to consider God's heart for his church. We no longer think in terms of being individuals, but in terms of being a place of community of believers, knowing that what we say and what we do really matters. It really matters. I mean, living for yourself, people, is not liberty. It is a self-imposed prison. Doing what you want to do, when you want to do it, how you want to do it, has never really led to a good life. It leads to a selfish life. Anything but good. Making up your own rules, following your own paths, leading to disaster. But God calls you to himself, and he commands you to follow him, so by grace you may be free from you God wants to free you from you doesn't that fly in the face of the world I have said it many times I have always been my greatest problem it's always been Doug it's only when you get outside of Doug that anything good ever happens only thing ever happens as good is getting outside of that. God comes to deliver us from us so that we can serve the greater purposes of God. He says, verse 18, let no one deceive himself. If any man among you thinks he is wise in this age, he must become foolish so that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness before God. For it is written, he is the one who catches the wise and the craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the reasonings of the wise that they are useless. Paul admonishes them once again and reminds them the wisdom of this world is deceiving. It is not spiritual. Again, we saw this in chapter 1, verse 18, for the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. In this verse, Paul puts that on the flip side, he says, the wisdom of this world is foolishness to God. God looks at this world and its wisdom and it's absurd. It's crazy. Wait, can I say amen? amen. We not see that right now, the craziness of it? And Paul uses these two words in the Old Testament or these two verses here, Job 5.12, where God is the one who catches the wise in their craftiness. And then when he speaks of wiser, he's talking about those who are worldly wise with world's wisdom. The other is ninety four Psalm 94, verse 11. Again, he's speaking to those who are worldly wise. The Lord knows those thoughts of those who are worldly wise are futile. They are worthless. They're useless. To think and to reason as this world thinks and reasons makes you a fool in God's sight. Do you guys get that? It makes you a fool. Therefore, if you care more about the world and its wisdom and its values, you only prove yourself to be a fool. That's the truth. If you care more about what the world thinks about you than what God thinks, you'll be the greatest fool. Jeremiah 17, 5 says, Thus says the Lord, Cursed is a man who trusts in mankind and makes flesh his strength and whose heart turns away from the Lord. How foolish. The point he's making, only a fool would in fact depend upon this world's wisdom of this age, but only the truly wise would reject this world's wisdom in exchange for God's eternal wisdom. That's why people, you should spend time in the, in the wisdom books you know, and and Psalms and Proverbs and, and spend time seeking the wisdom of God. It's so rich. It's so good. He says in verse 21, so then let no one boast in men for all things belong to God, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or things present or things to come. All things belong to you and you belong to Christ and Christ belongs to God. He says, let no man boast in any man. Get away to that foolish thinking. Whether you're looking at a human being like Paul or Apollos or Cephas or Pastor Kevin, (laughs) Pastor Doug or Pastor Ryan or Nathan, whoever they are, that's not the issue. You need to know that when you have Jesus, you got everything. You have everything. When you pursue the mind of Christ, the whole world is yours. Life, death. Present things, future things belong to us because we belong to Christ and Christ belongs to God. I think of Paul's exhortation to the Colossians when he exhorts them. I want you to take off the old man, you know, the old yucky man who kind of comes along with us. You know, we're to reckon him dead, but I'll tell you something, he keeps coming to life again. You guys notice that? So we have to keep killing him off, the old man. He comes after us and we have to kind of, you know, I'm done with you, put you off. But Paul says, but now yourselves are to put off these things anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you have put, notice this, put off the old man with its deeds and have put on the new man who is renewed in the knowledge according to the image of him who created him. Paul is saying, I want you to put off the old man with all of its carnal reasoning and all of its carnal thinking and I want you to put on the new man and the knowledge and the wisdom of God who discovers the depth and the riches That are yours in Christ Jesus. You see, when we when we seek the mind of God, people, do you know that our thinking changes? Our way of thinking changes. Have you not noticed this about yourself? That as you've grown in the Lord, some of you, that the way you think about things is not the way you used to think about things? Because God does that work in us, we gain the mind of Christ, we gain a new way of thinking. Many years ago, I had one of the wives here brought her husband to the church, and he had no interest in being here. And he kind of made it known. I tell lots of stories like this because we've had a lot of people like this come through the door. And maybe there's some here today. But one day I was talking to him. and said, Bob, what is it that keeps you from coming to the Lord? Well, he says, well, I I just don't want to, you know, become now, you know, pro Pro life, and he's, he just goes a whole list of things. If I become a Christian, I have to do all these things, and I'm not ready for that. And I said, "Listen, you need to relax. I just tell you, Bob, that if you give your life to Jesus, you don't have to be worrying about having your mind changed by yourself. God will change your mind about a lot of things. A lot of things. You think differently when you gain the mind of Christ. You look at the world differently. You think differently." Listen, if we are mature, if we are immature and we are fruitless as Christians, I want you to know the problem is not with God. Do you hear me? The problem is never with God. It is always with us, this carnal nature. You see, the Bible tells us that God has given us everything we need for spiritual growth. Second Peter one three, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to the life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. What do we have? Well, I'll tell you what he's given to us. He's given us the revelation of God's eternal word. Your Bible. I mean, it tells you everything that you need to know about God, everything you need to know about yourself. It's all there. He's given it to us. He's given us the revelation of God's glorious creation. Every time I go outside and I see the beauty of God's creation, even in a fallen world, I go, whoa, Lord, this is amazing. Look what you've done. It draws my heart closer. I'm amazed by it. He's given us the Holy Spirit who comes alongside of us and dwells within us. The Holy Spirit who guides us, who teaches us, counsels us, convicts us, empowers us to live for the Lord. He's given us prayer this means of communion and fellowship with God. He's given us mercy and grace and abundance. He's given us forgiveness and cleansing by the blood of Jesus. He's given to us pastors and teachers who teach and equip us for the works of service. He's given us promises of God, the body of Christ, the mutual edification, the spiritual gifts that we need to build one another up. Those are all the things that he's given to us. Do you not see, he's given us everything that we need to grow. So then why don't people grow? What is it that keeps people stunted? I want to list some things here. It certainly isn't exhaustive. But first of all, I think it's unconfessed sin. When we hold on to things that God is trying to purge out of our lives, we don't have the peace of God. He deals with those things until we settle them. Or it could be a compromising or divided heart. you're simply compromising, little things going other, other ways, or you neglect the word of God, or you ne- neglect the Holy Spirit of God. The Bible says we can resist the Holy Spirit, we can quench the Holy Spirit, we can grieve the Holy Spirit, or simply just because you're too self-centered, you're too proud, or that you're ignorant, or that you're lazy, or that you're apathetic, and there's a lot of, certainly a lot of that I've had to fight with. You know, content with far too little when God has so much more for you. Boy, content with so little here. When God says, I want you to have here. I want you to walk with me. I want you to experience my blessings. You know, God's word assures us that all the works of this flesh are gonna perish. And only those things that are done by his spirit are going to remain. I just want to challenge you this morning. Are you a growing Christian? Do you love Jesus more today than you did yesterday? Or is your just life about, you know, there was a time in my life I really loved the Lord. There was a time in my life when he was everything to me. Let me ask you, are you hating sin more today than yesterday? Does it not bother you? I know, as I've grown as a Christian, there's a couple of things that come to my mind. First of all, as I get closer to Jesus, I get much more aware of myself and my own sin. I do, I just like, Lord, yuck. I see you, you're so holy, and I'm just so yucky. By his grace, he continues to chasten us, and he draws us to himself. It's so wonderful. I wonder what materials you're building with. Are the materials you're using, are they something that are gonna sustain the test of fire? What you build, will it sustain the pressures of life? Or are you living like a fool, living for the flesh, seeking those things which will only perish in time? Or are you seeking those eternal things forsaking the foolish wisdom of this world in exchange for God's eternal wisdom. I wonder, whose fool will you be? God's fool or this world's fool? And that's a question every one of us has to answer. I know this, what God desires for you is what he has desired for me, that you grow. There is no greater joy. I know in my own life and all the years of ministry that I have had the pleasure of watching people grow up. I've watched so many of you grow. But I want to tell you something this morning. You haven't grown enough. There's more. And God wants to do more in you, and he wants to do more in this church And I just pray that God would just continue to grow people up, that he grows you and this church and that we love Jesus and we love each other and that we're going to continue just to be that kind of a people. And when we mess up, we're quick to get it right. We we wrong others, we're quick to make it right. And it's like, we're not going to allow the yuckiness of this flesh to destroy what God wants to build. Because when you're in a church like that, It's a joy. It is a joy. And I have to tell you that I can say this with such confidence. I love being with you because you are a joy. You're a joy. When I watch God working in you, you don't understand. It's just so precious. I pray that the best days of Calvary Chapel Southeast are ahead.
0: Thanks for listening to this week's study in the book of 1 Corinthians. If you're ever in the Portland area, we would love to have you visit for one of our services. For more information about our church, you can visit our website at ccseportland.com. We hope you've been blessed by this study. Stay tuned for our next series coming soon.